This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Don't you love it when people get involved in disgusting behaviour, in this case towards women, and then say they have to go and get some behavioural help? But also paid leave, Caro. You don't need counselling, just don't do it. Just don't do it. You're a Member of Parliament. So the AFL is very lucky and how they got an exemption is beyond me, but it was an extraordinary night and now we've got Brisbane stuck here for this week having to move their big Good Friday Eve game. Being a part of Grandparents and Special Persons Day was the highlight of my life. Pete and I went and we had an absolute ball. In fact, Pete didn't want to leave, really. He was having quite a lot of fun with the puzzles. (laughs) Poor old Jewel, barely the last page was turned and you had it out of her Well, in fact, she hadn't even had a chance to read it. And she said, oh, I don't know, darling, if I'm going to read this. Well, I said, Mum, after I finished it, read it. She loved it. This has just got Easter read all over it. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 166 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. Good morning, Corey Perkin. And I'm Corey Perkin. Hello, Caro. This is, um, well, it's a big week, Corey. A lot has happened. There's a heap to talk about in the world involving Canberra, politics, women. Football, and we've got a big announcement to make. First of all, I want to thank our sponsor, Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and we'll be opening up the cocktail cabinet later on in the morning, thanks to Prince Wine Store, and hopefully we'll have some nice white wine recommendations to have with our Good Friday fish, Corrie. Yes, it's a funny tradition, isn't it, Caro, having fish on Good Friday? It's a great tradition. I I agree. I absolutely agree. And I can't even recall uh, the last time. I um, went to Sunday school or sat in a church pew, <laughs> but it's a lovely, it's a lovely tradition, and it's of course we missed it last year because we were slap bang right at the beginning of lockdown in Melbourne, and none of us could get together with our family and friends. So I'm really looking forward to this Friday, and I'm looking forward to hearing Miles, who's coming into the studio to tell us about which wine we should have. But. But we did get to... Well, I still had a big family lunch on Good Friday, but it was just with my immediate family and we ate lots of fish. I mean, mm. we could still eat. That was one of the good things about last year. And this week's got <laughs> one a... One of the few pleasures. You can eat. You can have some food. <laughs> this week's got a horribly familiar feeling about that, hasn't it? It's uh, going into the studio and doing radio for 3AW on Saturday and, you know, Lee Matthews couldn't fly down from Brisbane. It, it, there's just a few signs and it's a little bit nerve-making. It's not going away, Carol. This will. This could happen again to us. Brisbane's lockdown, but anyway, we send our all our thoughts and best wishes to everybody in Queensland. But the big news is, Corrie, and this is something that I have been wanting to do for a long time since we started having the odd live event, is that we've got one coming up very soon. Late April, in fact, the 22nd of April, which is a Thursday night, you and I are inviting people to meet us at the Como Cinema, the Palace Cinema in the Como Centre in South Yarra, for a movie and a glass of wine and a bit of a chat. Won't that be fun? <laughs> Look excited. No, it sounds. It just sounds like a regular kind of Saturday afternoon for you and me. But I am it very does. excited because we are inviting all of our potty friends, if anybody out there would like to join us for the movie. And what is the movie, Caro? 
the United States versus Billie Holiday. Now, um, this has been Golden Globe nominated. It's a wonderful story. It um, hones in on one certain part of Billie Holiday's life. I think it looks absolutely wonderful. And that gorgeous actor, Andra Day, plays Billie Holiday, and she's actually been Oscar and Golden Globe nominated. So what we're asking you to do is fork out $30 and come to the Como Cinema in South Yarra, the Palace Cinemas. Meet us there for a drink before the movie at 5.30. The movie starts at 6. And if you want to hang around afterwards and um, buy yourself another drink at the bar and have a chat with us, you can when the movie's over. Caro's signing autographs. Sounds like a perfect night, Corrie. And the good news is um, it's one of the first Thursday nights in the footy calendar where there's no Thursday night football. I don't have to work. You'll be hot-footing it from um, your... Wheeler Centre event, yes. From your round of commitments, and we'll be there to meet you all. So we really hope you can join us. Yes, come along, everyone. We can't wait to have a drink with you all. It's been way too long. Details on how to book will be in the show notes, or you can just Google Ballpark Entertainment which is how you buy the tickets, don't shoot the messenger movie and it will take you to the booking page. Any issues, please um, turn. Who do you turn to in times of trouble, Corrie? Miss Jane. Miss Jane. An email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Over to the housekeeping, Corrie, but we hope you can come along. Um, thanks, Carol. Yes, we hope you do. Now, I just wanted to acknowledge, remember a couple of weeks ago I said a Nutribullet had arrived in a Target box for me at the shop? Yes. And the mystery, the plot thickened. No one, I asked. And then, of course, we mentioned it on the podcast. Up pops Daniel with this note. Thank you both for the entertainment over the past four or five years and Caro for the past 10 plus years on Footy Classified. Corrie, thank you for your book recommendations during COVID last May when I was stuck in Geelong. You're both so kind and your discussion about the Women's March was moving. We all must do better as a society. Corrie, expect a delivery at your bookshop every time you use it. Please think of how lucky we all are and smile. Hopefully next time I pop into your shop, we can meet in person. Cheers, Daniel. Now, the backstory of this is Daniel... So we didn't mean to be an anonymous... No, he didn't mean to be anonymous. This email came in and I'm so delighted because then Daniel rang the shop and we had a really great chat and he reminded me that he was the medico from memory from South Australia who inadvertently got stuck in Melbourne during the lockdown and he was here for several weeks and we uh, delivered books to him and... um, with our our Bellarine Peninsula run and I think from memory he was working at the Geelong Hospital but we are hugely appreciative of his support for all this time. He said he's been listening since the first episode all that time ago but Daniel I am overwhelmed by the Nutribullet. We haven't given it a red hot go yet because I haven't been home. Seriously where has she been? I mean but but Caro there's not one for you. I just wanted. Well, I've already got one. I don't need one. I've got one, and I've got. I mean, I've got several because Clem at one point just kept buying them, big ones, little ones. One, then she moved out and left us one. I mean, but I just want to say to Potties, don't ever feel if Carol or I say, "Oh my God, we'd love a Mercedes Benz." You don't have to deliver us a Mercedes Benz, okay? You you did have the violin out. Oh, I can't (laughs) afford a new trouble. I didn't say that. I said I was envious of my children who had one. Mm, Anyway, I don't think I did. Um, Susan. Cunningham on Facebook. Hi, Susan. She said, hello, ladies. I was riding my bike on the Riesling Trail in the Clare Valley this morning and listening Lucky to your podcast. Susan. 
old school style, no headphones, just blaring out for all and sundry to hear. I loved hearing about our neck of the woods mentioned by your good selves as being a good wine region to visit. I completely concur. By the way, I just ordered a bottle of the Champers as recommended by the Prince Wine Store. See, it works, Caro. Sponsorship works. It does. And she said, we love your work. Speaking and of you- Champers, um, where's mine? Oh, well... Didn't we have a bet last week, <laughs> Richmond yeah, Hawthorne? Yeah, we did. Well, look, I'll share it with you, Ivory Stiff, if I run into you. I, I, oh. I, owe you I owe you that bottle from Prince Wine Store. Anyway, thanks, Susan, for that lovely message. And Kim Gosling of Facebook also said, thanks, Corrie and Caro, for your reading recommendations. I've just finished The Rules of Backyard Cricket by Jock Sarong, and I will be deep diving into the rest of his back catalogue. Someone said to me, not sure you will like it. There's a lot of cricket, but to me, cricket was just the background to tell the story of brothers of family of perception of morality. I've realised recently that I read mainly female authors. Not a real problem, but I'm so glad you recommended Jock Sarong. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Jock is a bit of a fan of our podcast. He's probably hearing that and blushing. Well, it's it's a wonderful story about family and also corruption in sport. Um, Thank you also to Andrew Holden, who agrees with processing gender equality and all women and girls be treated equally, as well as the right to march. But he has a crack at me. Apparently, I talked about hundreds of thousands of women marching. I thought I was... referring to a global sort of phenomenon and what else, what was happening in the UK, etc. But Andrew says I'm becoming Trump-like, spreading <laughs> information, misinformation. So sorry about oh, that. Oh, you exaggerate, are you? And our Tigers fan, Vivian Morris. Um, she, I love this email, Yeah, Carol. now this is a really interesting email, um, particularly because we've been hot on the discussion of sexual assault on the Canberra bubble topic, um, as well as the endless Harry and Meghan discussion. Yes, we admit it. She reckons we've been quiet on the mass murder of Asian Americans in La- in Atlanta, Georgia this week. Well, Which gee, was last week, yeah. yeah um, true. Um, look, honestly, the ongoing issue with the way guns have become, have been for always a way of American life is, is such a sad and depressing topic that some, when I read another of these stories, it's just the, the feeling of hopelessness is just all enveloping for me, Corrie. Anyway, Vivian writes, if we think racism towards Asians is not that bad in Australia, then we are kidding ourselves. I, being a Chinese migrant, am relatively lucky that I haven't experienced any violent physical or verbal abuse, but that doesn't mean I haven't copped indirect casual racist comments over the past 24 years. Did I get judged on the tram wearing a mask at the beginning of the pandemic? You bet I did. Some media commentators were not warm to the mask rule by saying they did not like wearing masks because it is not in our culture. That is absolutely true. That was said a lot. He believes this is a casual racist remark. Wearing a mask has nothing to do with culture. It is about being responsible, about protecting protecting ourselves and others. Surprisingly, or not really, most of the comments come from well-educated professionals. Good point, Vivian, and thank you very much for that thoughtful email. I love that email. I love that email because, uh, first of all, we didn't mention the the shootings in Atlanta, and it, as you say, it's overwhelming. And if I hear one more American politician say, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers to the families, I'll scream, just fix the legislation. Not just federally, but every state needs to have a good hard look at this. It just keeps happening. Oh, but what about all the great Americans who have a right to buy guns at Walmart? Seriously, just give me a break. Moving on to our conversation, which we're going to have at some point, about the toxic culture in Canberra. A group of blokes I was sitting with the other day, one of them said, it's all over for us. Siren's gone. It's the final quarter. We had our chance. We've had, we've, you know, had our go and we've lost 
time to hand over now. What? <laughs> well, to, to the women? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you. I thought we were in a footy pub talking footy. Or no, no. Well, there oh. were, they were people who work in footy, but it was just an interesting take on what's going on. They've basically said we've had a we've had a crack. We've completely stuffed it up. Your turn now. Well, not such a bad thing, Caro. I mean, look at all these amazing women leaders of the world who we have acknowledged in previous podcasts managing so brilliantly their countries during coronavirus. Mm, they all happen to be women. I think it's time that. to work together. Which brings us back, Corrie, as I mentioned before, federal parliament's toxic culture, which just this story will not go away for the Morrison government. We've seen a cabinet reshuffle, which is... Well, it, it, it smacks to me of too little, too late. Some appalling press conference, well, one particularly bad press conference performance by the Prime Minister since we did our last podcast where he embarrassingly attacked another workplace, News Limited, with allegations that were completely wrong, as it turned out. And even if they had been right, really irresponsible of the Prime Minister to um, bring up something that the woman involved might not have wanted to be aired. So Correct. just really interesting, as several people, people have written, that the dirt people who briefed Scott Morrison about what's going on at other workplaces didn't tell him about what happened to Brittany Higgins. Mm. It's, it is, it, and also not a great performance, I thought, by the Prime Minister this week when he announced the elevation of uh, women into it, more women into his cabinet and referred to Maurice Payne as the Prime Minister for Women, which begs the question, shouldn't he be the Prime Minister for men and women? What is he the Prime Minister for men? And she's the women. Aren't we all the same? She has and been a bit missing, hasn't missing she, Missing in action, Payne? but yep. I don't often agree with Peter Credlin, Caro, as you know, but I think she was absolutely spot on when she said that uh, she accused Scott Morrison of making fundamental mistakes on this women issue and um, and said that his comments about the Prime Minister for Women were just completely um, um, irrelevant and, and wrong and every portfolio area is and should be relevant to women um, is kind of her point. Oh, look, I don't know, Carol. It's, it's, it, I think you're right about the too little, too late. Paul Kelly had this interesting article in The Weekend Australian talking about the Liberal Party's failure to develop a strong, effective, high-profile women's brand. That does make you wonder whether, in fact, the Labor Party has developed a strong, effective, high-profile women's brand. But it made me think about – it was a terrific piece and it made me think about what would you be, what would you be doing – to, to kind of harness some good energy and and turn 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 the the volume down on this terrible moment the government just can't get any oxygen out, outside of the whole Brittany Higgins men behaving badly in parliament issue I think quotas is the only answer and I don't know why men are so scared of them it's the only thing that has worked in other walks of life in my experience Corrie um, the government keeps saying oh yes well Labor introduced quotas and look how well they're going well I don't think Labor failed to win the last election because there are too many women in their shadow cabinet I'm sorry but I just do not accept that Labor lost the election because there were some fundamental policy errors made by Bill Shorten and his team, not because there were quotas. I really think that um, every time people say, oh, but um, we want the right women, that is just absolute balderdash. The only way this, the cultural barriers are going to change is if you absolutely insist on finding the best women and best men for the job. And as Nikki Sarvis said on The Insiders on Sunday, you don't think there are some men there who 
you know, under normal circumstances would not have been given ministerial positions if there was a perfect world. It's just absolutely not true. And it was interesting. They had um, Katie Allen and Sarah Henderson um, on the insiders who were pretty strong, really. I mean, they they fell short of quotas in Cabinet, but they certainly, um, certainly... Katie Allen felt that quotas in the selection process of parliamentarians would be a fantastic way forward. And I completely agree with that. That is a start. But in so many areas, you have to allow women to catch up on what have been historic um, historic reasons that they haven't been allowed in. I mean, I, I keep going back to the MCC, that women weren't allowed to be members of the MCC. In 1982, if you got if a man was happy to hand over his guest pass, people like me and my sister and my mother were able to jump the queue, as we should have, because we weren't put down as kids. It had to be an unfair catch-up correction. And that is what needs to happen in Parliament. And that's what I think needs to happen at boards across the country. But also, if you think about the the agenda that the, the government has in front of it, particularly at the moment, uh, they've got to address a whole lot of issues that men and women should be talking about. And a lot of them are female-focused, income equality. More women than men lost their jobs during the lockdown. We know that because of the casual workforce and part-time workforce. Domestic and family violence, which the Morrison government has said is a big issue for them. Superannuation. Superannuation. And women. so many women have less than half of men's superannuation by the time they turn 60. Access to childcare. Women are so, uh, you know, you and I have had this quota discussion before and a few years ago I thought, oh, no, it's got to be the best person for the job, but I have done a complete 180 on this. I am with you so, uh, so strongly that until we have women in government, in parliament, on boards, CEOs, heading up corporations, senior managers... There, nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change. So Historic how do you do that? You've got to, you've got to positively discriminate. Yeah, you've got to positively discriminate. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's the only way. And it, it look the, because beside... often, can, sorry, but often women have been discriminated against for the wrong reasons. So we can say best person for the job, but sometimes boys, men have been elevated to to. I'm sorry, boys. I meant boys club, but men have been elevated to a position they sometimes have not deserved. They haven't had the skill set, but they've been a mate of someone, or they've been a drinking with the boss or or they just seem to be the right person at the right time or they had the right school tie or whatever it is. And so there has been positive discrimination against men who should not have been in positions of authority and power. And look, I hate to be brutal, but Maurice Payne has really been missing on the job, hasn't she? Well, it was, it, it, you're right, Where's Cara, she been? Well, is, it, you... is it because she's been shut down or has <laughs> she just been, uh, uh, her voice has been nowhere in this debate? Well, the, re- the interesting thing was, uh, it was a little bit yesterday when the unfortunate comments about the Prime Minister for Women occurred, she actually found her voice and it was quite interesting to hear her speak succinctly about her new role Um as heading up this um, this women's task force within uh, within the cabinet, and I thought, gosh, you are articulate, you are smart. Where have you been all this time? What's been happening? Who's been stomping you down? Why haven't you felt free to talk? Because you clearly can. It's, it was it was such an interesting juxtaposition to the Maurice Payne of a couple of weeks ago when the women's march was on and she went missing in action. 
No, it's um, it, as we said, it's a problem that won't go away. But they've There've got a decisions. few. They've got a few good women there, Caro. Just sorry to jump in, but I'm really impressed with Karen Andrews. I think Sarah Henderson, you mentioned before, has just been a, a constant um, voice here in the background. I think th- there are some women there, you know, who are really capable of creating well, she, some change. She was sort of lucky to get back into the Senate, wasn't she, after losing her seat? And um, obviously they rated her highly enough to give her that position. No, look, um, there've been some good signs. But I still think Christian Porter will continue to haunt the government, rightly or wrongly. And this is just, um, you know, and, and some look just generally too. Some of the stories about behaviours in state governments and behaviours, you know, of staffers at federal governments, and the story that was aired on Channel Ten last week about the masturbation, like it, it is just so horrifying that people are behaving like that. And I think the interesting thing, the most interesting thing, well, one that came out of the conversation um, on Sunday on the ABC with Sarah Henderson and Katie Allen was alcohol is a massive, massive issue in Canberra. It's, it's too much of it. Um, in no other workplace would the amount of drinking that goes on there be tolerated. And they even talked about drug testing well, and breath testing. And I've also heard cocaine use too. Yeah, well, and and you know, and therein lies a huge problem because every party, every night you go to anywhere in in any capital city, um, there there's there's the opportunity to indulge in grog or drugs or whatever. The it weird is. nature Can- of Canberra, Canberra too. exactly. They're doing it on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, and it is Canberra is the issue. Canberra is the problem. Now, can we get on to the AFL now, Corrie? Because it's been it, it- oh yes, and you're going to remind me again that your team. Beat my team, but there's so well, much was, to discuss. Without being rude, it was hardly a surprise. Um, I mean, you know, Hawthorne are not at that period of their um, their progress at the moment. That no, you would young team, young team. But Carol, it was very interesting to be at the Melbourne Press Club Quills Award on Friday night with a group of AFL people whose phones were going nuts because of the Brisbane team in Melbourne. COVID strikes. How did it unfold for you? Well, I was just, I didn't go to the game between Geelong and Brisbane. One of the great dramatic, there were more stories came out of that game and continue to come out of that game. Um, the two coaches yelling at each other at, towards the end of the quarter time break. The Geelong coach, Chris Scott, having a crack at the Brownlow medalist, Lockie Neal, who'd had a go at him after he'd been round-armed by Gary Rowan from Geelong. Really a lot of nasty comments, but banter between the two teams. A one-point result, an AFL press conference the next day announcing that the umpiring decision that led to the one-point result was wrong. You know, there was so much out of this game. But what happened was um, a big sign went up on the scoreboard at GMHBA Stadium in the old Cadinia Park saying, if you've been in Brisbane on these dates, go, get out. Now, people like Luke Hodge, who was commentating, and Wayne Carey, who'd been there for an event, left the seven commentary box. Um, the CEO of the club, Greg Swan, and all his staff who were there left the, left the ground and went to their hotels. And yet the players who were already on the ground, who hadn't been COVID tested since early January and who had been living normal lives and not adhering to protocols that you would expect last year, stayed and played. So the AFL is very lucky and how they got an exemption is beyond me. But it was an extraordinary night. And now we've got Brisbane stuck here for this week, having to move their 
big Good Friday Eve game, having to play Collingwood here, and probably next week. Well, they'll probably stay for the next two well, weeks. Well, I heard one of the players saying, "I haven't got any clothes. I haven't brought anything down." With I know. And Hutchie on Footy Classified pointed out that he, um, one of his underwear sponsors, sent them all undies. But they did go shopping in the CBD yesterday because oh, they're I'm all staying in the hear. city. They come with one night's wardrobe, Corey. And the and the other thing, but then the women. Imagine, uh, sorry to be like completely sexist here, but imagine if it was a group of girls. <laughs> You know, we would just be, I've got to get to a chemist, I've got to get I know. <laughs> go to a lingerie I know. shop. These are these are pampered, very wealthy athletes, most of them, Corey. I just don't like to be. <laughs> but anyway, the other thing is the, the women's team went home. The, the Brisbane women's team is in the top four. They, they, they're meant to be hosting a final in two weeks' time or 10 days' time, and where that's going to be is anybody's guess. So, yeah, and the Gold Coast team has been flown out of the Gold Coast, even though they're not a danger area at the moment. But we're worried that these numbers, and I think the three-day lockdown, probably that's being a bit optimistic from what the Brisbane Lions are hearing. It could go on a bit longer. So Easter plans have gone awry, not only for the AFL, but for a lot of Victorians and New South Welsh people who were planning to go to Queensland for Easter. Now, um, on the Quill Awards, Jodie Sizer, our friend Jake Nile, I think, organised the Collingwood director, Jodie Sizer, to be the guest speaker. I heard... It was quite a long speech, and there were a few long speeches. Uh, Jody spoke, I guess, for about 15 minutes, which if you're the keynote speaker, I think that's fair enough. Oh, well, that, that's not that long. I, I found, I've been given I found the wrong her information. Address, I found her address. Oh, look, I think there were people there who just wanted to get on with the drinks and have the night <laughs> fold so they could go to the nightclub. There have been but, some shockers but and I, some brilliant I found, ones. I found Jody Sizer's speech really interesting, Caro, on a number of levels. She was there as part of the inaugural 2020 Quill Award for Recognising Excellence in Indigenous Affairs Reporting. So this is a new initiative. It's a terrific idea and there were many outstanding candidates and the winner, of course, was Belinda Hawkins and the wonderful uh, ABC Australian Story Team for Making His Mark, which was the uh, terrific story of Marlon Pickett and the 2019 Grand Final. Anyway, it was a great piece of of, uh, work and Jodie Sizer, who is a Collingwood board member, an Indigenous woman, very proud of her heritage, made an incredibly compelling speech. And as I said to a couple of journos at the end, she her last minute and a half was almost like back page lead material. Talking about what unfolded at Collingwood? She was talking about what unfolded at Collingwood, but she, and she talked about how it, it's not easy to come forward to stand tall and reveal to the world your truth and she commended all of those who had and she hoped others tap into this power and begin to heal by speaking from the heart and then she said what was clear in the stories of all the Indigenous players who have had a tough time from Adam Goods so on is that sport is not colour blind sport creates a place for Aboriginal people where society often ignores or excludes them but not often in an unconditional way and she just, she her last sort of sentence was um, acknowledging that Collingwood had a lot of work to do, that they'd introduced the Do Better report. And she said, I ask all 17 clubs, the AFL, the AFL Players Association and all individuals, where are you in this moment? Be courageous, be bold, be better. Well, it was a powerful speech. I was, I have to say, I had tears in my eyes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was really, and I did, I did think, you know, this is, this is, this is, I suppose, the first time I've heard Jody. And the, and the power of the message. But I thought the AFL could do worse than talk to her about a future spot on the commission, 
nurture her, encourage her, I think she is a woman of immense potential. And well, the why, AFL, well, Mike Colling was not talking about, you know, even in dispatches about who's going to be the president and have Jodie. Oh, her name's come up. Oh, her I'm name glad, has definitely oh, come up. I'm glad to hear that. But there are two blokes on the board who really want it as well, and that's Peter Murphy and Mark Corder. Interestingly, the AFL's first Indigenous commissioner is a woman, Dr Helen Milroy. Um, I'm not sure how effective she has been. I know she historically does not have a good relationship with Tanya Hosh, who is the AFL's most senior Indigenous executive. So that's a bit of a problem. It's good to hear Jodie got to speak because she was interrupted a bit when they had that famous press conference with other Collingwood board members, the one that led to Eddie Maguire's resignation the following week. And she should never have been, Caro. She was the one that had the message to... to to impart to all of the Collingwood community and the wider football community. The way she was shut down was just terrible. And interestingly, Russell Johnson also won the gold quill, the ABC journal for the Robert Muir story, which was... And Robert um, Muir was there, Caro, in the audience. Well, it's just amazing that so many white ex-footballers have said to me and journos, oh, but that that wasn't the way Robert Muir behaved at the time. He never let on that that upset him. And just like people are still saying to me, Heredia Lumumba, oh, he's got this partner and she's made him all militant. And, you know, there's there's just this ongoing excuse giving. Of course he didn't say it hurt him at the time. It's he was trying to what, fit Brittany in. Brittany Higgins the day after should have gone straight to oh. the PM's office. It's called post-traumatic stress disorder, everyone, and People, it hits all of us. I go through it often about a couple of things that have happened in the past in my life, and I think, gosh, why didn't I stand up? Why didn't I say something at the time? I oh, think there've we been can all so do many that. times when I've it's been on air and been I felt unfairly picked on, sometimes deservedly, but when it's sometimes you just laugh it off because you're sort of nervous and you don't know what to do and you just need to get on to the next thing and you want to bury it. So that's just a sideline. But obviously, congratulations also to Nick McKenzie. Oh well, our friend of the pod. Can I tell you, I saw him at the start of the evening. I didn't get a chance to say congratulations for winning the Graham Perkin Journalist of the Year award. Afterwards, Nick was just swept up, you know, with bouquets and champagne and and I Graham don't know Perkins' else. grandson presented the award. I'm Will, told. Will presented my son. Will presented the award, but I did see Nick beforehand, and we just sort of jumped into each other's arms. And he talked. He said wonderful things about the podcast, how much he enjoyed being on it, and I said how much we loved him. And it was the most listened to episode of all the 166 that we've had. We had a great time, but he really did des- deserving winner, uh, an amazing body of work over the past year, and um, we'll have the to have Crown him Expose, Australian military. Well, it's so funny. He's presenting stacking. Crown at Crown. I mean, he's, oh. he's receiving the award at Crown. Anyway, that was a funny moment. But Carol, he did say he'll come back on. Don't shoot the messenger. Brilliant. So, and what go. was was there anything bad about the night? I think that probably the most disappointing thing for me, Carol, being a former reporter with the Australian newspaper, was that there was a dearth of national. I mean, maybe they had entered and maybe their submissions were not considered by the judges good enough to make the finalists, but the Australian in particular uh, has such a fine stable of reporting staff. I cannot believe there wasn't someone in the Melbourne office or someone who did a Victorian story who was not worthy of 
being in that award and I just hope that my friend Chris Dore, who is now the editor of The Australian, takes that on board and encourages his Melbourne staff in particular to enter the quills because they have had past success. I won a quill when I was at The Australian. It can be done, it's, but it just seemed like there was almost a moratorium or something against it and I understand Channel 10 also had a bit of a problem as well with the quills. I don't know whether that was a political or sponsorship related thing. I have no idea, but I would just like to see more people who write for Melbourne and Victorian audiences to or, or deliver news to get behind the quills. How surprising journos bitching about award, <laughs> award results. <laughs> and welcome to the Cocktail Cabinet with our special guest, Miles Thompson, again from Prince Wine Store. And remember, Prince Wine Store brings Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. To buy from them, visit princewinestore.com.au. Now, Miles Corrie and I often say around this time of year that forget Christmas and the summer. Easter is when people are really interested in beautiful food and good wine because, I don't know, the weather's getting a bit cooler. It's like the last big shebang, I guess, before the winter sets in. And because we love eating fish on Good Friday, we thought we'd discuss white wines. And you've brought a couple in to recommend. Yeah, I did. I bought in... Um, I bought two today. I bought something a little more, I guess, cheap and cheerful, nice and easy drinking, and then something a little more serious. So depending on what you think you might have. Oh, we're happy uh, with all those options. We can be cheeky, (laughs) cheerful, serious, earnest, Well, that's it. You need something something for Wednesday night, something for Friday. Perfect. But it is interesting what you say, Caro, about eating at Easter because Christmas Day, usually if you're with family and stuff, there's presents and sometimes kids and the snoring uncle in the corner mm. who's had too much to drink. There are so, so many some distractions. Some people church and, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, it's a, a busy of, day. Yeah. But, but Easter is like a food, you know, I don't know about you guys, but it's a food frenzy kicking off with who's bought the best hot cross mm. bun. And it then kind of evolves. But the, the, the Easter Good Friday lunch is a fabulous time to celebrate our great seafood. Absolutely. And not so, the pressure that you have at Christmas, I think. Same. So what have you got here for Let's us? kick off with the cheap and cheerful. Right. So the first one is called Pajot and it's called, well, Quattro Sepage, I think, for, for, for Sepage. So it's got four grapes in it. It's just a, a blend of white wine from the southwest. From of Gascony? France. Of France, yeah, that's yep. right. So you see sort of just down below Bordeaux there, very easy drinking. It's just a little bit aromatic, but just really fresh, very bright, really crunchy, you know, very very simple but very tasty. It's a bit of a staff favourite. Uh, it's not expensive I like, and it tastes I like delicious. The, I like its simple label too. The cl- the clunking that you can hear is not Miss Jane's drinks trolley. <laughs> no. Miles has actually brought the bottles in and they're it's being a lovely bottle. passed around the table. And the main de Pajot. And That's it's a screw right. cap, of course. So um, how much can we buy this one so for? So $21 for that. Oh, my goodness. How Fantastic. do you do it for the price, Miles? I know. I know. And perfect with, <laughs> um, perfect with fish and chips or fish pie. Yeah, fish and chips would be great. Just any sort of white flesh fish would be good. Nice and nice and easy. Not too much. You know, don't want anything with lots of heavy sauce or anything like that. It's very fresh and bright. So Beautiful. And you've got a Tasmanian Pinot Gris as yeah, well. Yeah, so this is a, a young couple and they have a single vineyard and it's planted to a bunch of different varieties, including, I think, Riesling, Pinot Gris, some other whites and Pinot as well. So they do a really fantastic Pinot, but the Pinot Gris is great. So they put it a little times on skins, so it gets a little bit of sort of a pink blush, but just very light to it. 
and a bit of time in barrel as well. So that gives it a really nice uh, texture to the wine. So it's a little bit richer. It's a little bit fuller. So if you're going to have things like salmon or trout or something like that, it's going to go really, really well with something like and that. And whereabouts in Tassie, Miles? Uh, they t- Tamar Valley, so mm. or around that area. Beautiful so that's, that's part north. of the world. Yeah, yeah, really nice. So and the name of it again? So this is uh, the Luna Tasmanian Pinot Gris. L-U-N-A. Yeah, great label too, I know. That Your is very grand. But, no, um, well, no. Yeah, look, hold it up to the microphone. They're clever. They can see we'll it. Run yeah, a, we'll right. run a lovely photograph of it in our show notes. Yeah. And this one retails for? And that's 42 $42 and $21. So you can double up with um, the Tasmanian Luna. Pinot Gris. So Pinot Gris often has a pale pink, or occasionally like that Tar and Roses. Yeah. Pinot Grigio is another one that um, tell me about Pinot Gris and why it's taken off so, so much in recent years. Yeah, I think it's it's it, it has some elements that Sav Blanc has and I think, you know, it's a bit aromatic, it's got that lovely sort of fruit fruitiness to it um, but it's a bit different again, so it's not quite as in your face as, as Sauvignon Blanc. So it's kind of... You know, it's just very easy to sort of get, very easy to drink, very easy to enjoy. And it's really versatile as well. It goes with a lot of different foods. So I think people have really sort of, uh, you know, taken it on as a, as a sort of everyday sort of drink. Fantastic. Sounds great. Um, so we'll be talking again with you in the next week or two about autumnal wines, mm. which was actually an idea, great idea of Miss Jane's about as we head toward winter and all things spicy. So um, we'd love to hear from any listeners if you have any particular suggestions in that regard, your favourite autumn wine. But we look forward to having you again, Miles. Thanks for coming in today. Well, thanks for having me. And just remember, use the promo code M for Mary E-double-S. That's Messenger for short, Corrie. In oh, capitals. is it really, Caro? And check out online to receive a list of Not the mess discount. that you'll be after you've had a couple of bottles of the No, Luna. certainly not. You'll find the links in our show notes. But that's a cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. And it really is. Visit princewinestore.com.au and tell them that Corrie and Caro sent you. Now, Corrie... It is time for Crush of the Week, and that is thanks to Red Energy, which is 100% Australian electricity and gas. My crush is Andrew McConnell. Now, I'm just moving away from um, topics of the last few weeks just to say Andrew McConnell is one of our great national treasures. His restaurants, you know, they're super normal, Marion... Cutler & Co., The Builder's Arms. I mean, he's got so many fabulous restaurants. But And I'm not knocking other restaurateurs and caterers who complained during COVID. But Andrew McConnell never complained. He just continued to, timing-wise, just open the most fabulous new ideas. Next door to Cutler & Co. at the Marion in um, Fitzroy, he opened the morning market, the most unbelievable coffee, pastries, wine boxes, etc. He's opening a morning market apparently in Paran, which is going to be absolutely fantastic. And just as the Victorian government have announced you can have 100 people back in your house, he started a catering company. It's called Handmade. And um, special mention to my daughter Rose's first great friend when she um, moved into school, Elena Musto. Elena is the events manager for Handmade. I'm sure it's going to be fabulous. I remember Helena as a little girl. Elena, yeah. Elena, yes. Well, she's obviously gone from strength That's to strength. Great, I haven't yeah. seen her for years, but all the best to you, Elena. But I just, you know, there were so many people who complained about when they announced outdoor dining, oh, it's not going to work. What about rain? What about the Melbourne weather? I understand how tough it's been, but I've, I've never heard 
hopefully, touch wood, that he's been underpaying his staff, Andrew McConnell, which you hear about a lot of other people. He has been a wonderful supporter of regional restaurants. I mean, my absolute favourite on the Mornington Peninsula, Bistro Elba. I've seen him there and I've heard him say what a great restaurant that is. He's supported that. I just think the food industry in Victoria... And that Visit Victoria website, which we've spoken about, which Andrew McConnell has had such a big say in, has been so impressive, getting us back on our feet again here in this state. So he's my crush of the week. Here, here. I agree. Oh, thanks, Nice, to, nice to have you out of the Richmond Football Club for a change, Caro, with your crush. Holly, that's not true. That is just now, ridiculous. Now, BSF, Caro, book, screen and food. I, I've had women journos in recent weeks. BSF, okay, I'm going to kick off again. I'm going to start this again because I have a book, which in fact you gave both Anna from the Op Shop and Julia as a thank you over Christmas. And I snapped it from my mother the minute that she'd finished it. This Poor is, old Jewel, barely the last page was turned and you oh, had it out of her Well, midst. in fact, she hadn't even had a chance to read it. And she said, oh, I don't know, darling, if I'm going to read this. Well, I said, Mum, after I finished it, read it. She loved it. It's called The Thursday Murder Club. We've mentioned it before. It's by an English or Scottish talk show host by the name of Richard Osman. This is a story. Look, this has just got Easter read all over it. It is such an easy but fabulous read. It's deeper than you think. It's a novel about old age. It's a murder mystery. It's a novel about people in... It's a group of people in an old people's home in a beautiful part of England who every Thursday night, a group of them, host a murder club where they solve old old crimes. They go over old crimes that have happened years ago, a bit like new tricks, I suppose, and actually, but just do it as an erudite sort of experiment until one day a murder takes place at the old or near the old people's home. And so they whip into action. Have you read this book? No, because it sounds oh. a bit to me like no. Midsummer Murders. No, it, it is You know more, me and murder mysteries. No, it is, look, it is. After a, reading Murder in Mustique, I think that's it for there's, me. There's a, a trade, there's a retired trade union leader. There's a retired, well, we don't know what she is, but we suspect pretty soon. Is this a book on. for old people? No. It, I'm we, glad we, because I'm only 60. Well, we suspect, well, so am I, Corrie, and I loved it. I suspect there's, she's a spy, one of the main characters. One is a one is a retired nurse. There, are, there. It's a story about what it's like to go into an old people's home, relationships with their children and their families, um, about assisted dying. But it's a cracking murder mystery. I've already cast people like Celia Imrie and Judy Dench in this. Um, what is going to clearly be a movie? It went nuts in the British market. It was a bestseller. It stayed in the top 10 for months and months. And I, I gather there's a sequel. I mean, these characters are so fantastic. Obviously, some of them die. You oh. Know, well, because they're old. Spoiler alert. But, um, Corrie, the Thursday Murder Club, Richard Osman, you've got okay. to read it. So, Caro, my Easter gift to our potties, if you would like to come into our Hawksburn shop, not online, not by phone, but if you are passing and you'd like to call in and buy a copy of this book, tell them that you listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger. Tell them Caro sent you and we will give you 15% off the Thursday Murder Club. Should I also say it's got some great humour in it? It's yeah, people have said it's a great laugh. Oh, no, look, I think it's terrific. I've been recommending it based on yours and Anna's and Julia's recommendation. It's fantastic. Now, you have a screen. I love this screen, Caro. And if you love fashion, if you love glossy magazines and you love workplace politics, you will love Made in Italy, which is SBS On Demand. I think it first went to air early last year. Um, it is... I can't remember how many parts, eight, nine, ten uh, in this in series one. 
I think there might only be one series. Uh, but it is the story of the birth of the Italian fashion industry in the 1970s, told through our main character, Irene. Irene is a beautiful young woman who's an art history student and she has uh, in Milan, so there's some great shots of Milan, and she has in the first episode she has an argument with her tutors. Um, her father is a, a it works in a factory but has um, union leadership tendencies and I think this is coming through fully in Irene. She talks back and she, to the to the um, the examiners and walks out of there into a and ends up taking a job as a like a for a week or something, but they end up loving her at an, an Italian fashion magazine. And of course she stays, she gets a journalism cadetship and she becomes immersed in what is the the fledgling Italian fashion industry. And each episode, Caro, is uh, involves one of the main characters at that time. So, for example, Irene and her boss, the editor, go and interview um, Giorgio Armani, who's young and working out of a little upstairs studio creating amazing things. We see her uh, go and visit the Masoni Fashion House. We see a young Gianni, Gianni Versace, who, do you remember I bumped into him at the Venice Biennale just before he was shot dead in Miami? Do you remember I stood on his foot accidentally? I've told you that story. Yes, but yeah. yes that's right. Oh, <laughs> Wow, weren't those the days? As I was standing when back we to look to at, a big, at a big, at a big um, artwork and I stood accidentally stood on his foot. But it's really terrific. There's Ferrucci who made it in America and Irene well, is sent Fiorucci? to New York. Remember Ferrucci? Yeah, well, it, Irene is sent to New York to Very cover 80s. to cover the, 70s. you know, up and up as he's building his jeans company. You'll love this, Caro. It's funny. It's witty. Obviously, it's the subtitles. The music is great. And Miss Jane, would you like to give us just a little taste of the music? Don't you just get into the theme? Where is my Negroni? Uh, really so recommend SBS it. SBS on demand. SBS on demand, and it's called Made in Italy. Not to be confused with Made in Italy, which is the Liam Neeson incredibly average movie that came yes. out last year. Yeah, that was bad. Where the grieving widow and widower and his son returned to. Um, the place where they used to be happy with the mother who's died. Anyway, that is not this one. So go. If you love fashion, you'll love Made in Italy. Caro, tell me what are we eating? What's your recipe? Well, it probably should be a fish recipe for Good Friday, but this is a seasonal recipe that will knock your socks off. It is so easy and so yummy, and it is called tomato tart tatin. So similar to a normal tart tatin, except that it involves beautiful tomatoes, which obviously, if you grew them, they are all looking absolutely perfect at the moment. Um, it's so simple, Corrie, and we had it for dinner on Friday night. I'm going to make it again and again and again until all my cherry tomatoes run out. But if you're not growing tomatoes, just go and buy, well, it says that you need 650 to 750 grams of cherry tomatoes. They're a good price at the moment. Oh, they're so cheap. I just picked all my yellow and red cherry tomatoes. The recipe says red, but I just used all. And then my lovely neighbour, Reese gave me a whole bag of medium-sized tomatoes. So I used some of them cut in half. But I brought um, that, you know, Kareem puff pastry. It's two sheets of ready rolled pastry and I would say roll it a little bit thinner than I did. You cut it in half and spread it with 
um, a knob of butter and you put it in the fridge until it's ready to... Then, look, it is so easy, Corrie. That's after you've defrosted the pastry. Um, Put it in the fridge to chill while you prepare the filling. And this is all you do. Melt um, butter, about 30 grams of butter in, you know, the tart to tan pan. So one of those heavy frying pans you can put into the oven. You stir in sugar, caster sugar, balsamic vinegar, and basically simmer for about five minutes until the sugar and balsamic vinegar turns into um, a bit of a caramelly thing. Then you take the pan off the heat. You scatter over two cloves of garlic, thinly sliced, about a tablespoon of thyme leaves, which you've probably also got growing in the garden, or you buy it, um, just broken up the leaves. And then you just chuck in 650 to 750 grams of cherry tomatoes on top. Then you put the pastry over the top and sort of fold it around. And you and you'd be careful here because the caramel's quite hot. You've rolled out the pastry before you actually put it on to thin, 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 and then you tuck it all in, chuck it in the oven. You could put a little motif on the top if you were inclined. You could, but I A little tomato picture. You basically cook it for 35 minutes until the pastry's golden. When you take it out of the oven, it's still in the pan, you leave it for 10 minutes just to cool down. And then before before you invert it, you know, put it onto the serving thing, because you turn it upside down, I've obviously. Got it. I, I yeah. do know what invert means. Sorry, Corrie. Yeah, you tip out a lot of the liquid, because it's very liquidy. You just tip it out, be very say, careful. I would say it would be a bit wet. Oh, it is sweet and caramelised. Yum! And served with a small green salad with a bit of avocado, if you like, otherwise just a bit of tarragon and a nice French dressing. It is the best recipe. It was There was a series of great tomato recipes in um, The Weekend Australian a few weeks ago by David Herbert. It's on our show notes. And I might have included a little picture of mine. Sprinkle it at the end with basil. And I did a bit of goat's cheese as well. Yum. Yum. Well, that would be good with the goat's cheese. And Miss Jane, can I just thank you for my birthday gift? One of my birthday gifts from you last week, which was the heirloom tomatoes. They were devoured in Ballarat that evening for dinner. That was beautiful. Tomatoes and sugar. What a great combination. And basil. So that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Please call 131 806 for Red Energy, Real Aussie Energy, and the Melbourne based team will help you out. Now, after all that good news, Corrie, you're grumpy. Well, I think you'll probably agree with me on this grumpy, Caro. Andrew Lamming, the Coalition Queensland MP, who has just asked for privacy and taken a month's paid leave as he undertakes clinical counselling and courses in, quote, empathy and appropriate communication, has really got my back up this week (laughs) on so many levels for so many reasons. So all of the potties listening to me, I'm sure, will be nodding their heads and going, yes. But uh, I think that he is just going from bad to worse. He needs to stop doing interviews right now where he he will apologise one minute for his bad behaviour and say he's having a good hard look at himself. And then the next minute he goes on yet another radio program or gives another newspaper interview where he blows himself up again. As Zali Stegall said, it's time the PM called this issue out. We need action and said that he should not be sitting in the parliament if people should not be sitting in the parliament if they are not people of fit and proper character. How on earth? I, I understand the whole majority issue that the Morrison government faces, but 
That is no excuse. They could do pairing, Caro, and I think even the ALP has suggested they would do pairing, which means for votes. I thought they said they actually wouldn't do oh, a pair. Oh, did they? Oh, I, yeah. sorry. I, I heard someone, was it Jim Chalmers or the other day, saying that pairing was a possibility. But but, but the thing, what don't you love it when people get involved in disgusting behaviour, in this case towards women, and then say they've got a behaviour, they have to go and get some behavioural help. But or, also paid leave, Caro. Oh, now, how many people I have a behavioural problem. No, I'm just a... How yeah. many? How many of us out there? Not say it. Cannot can a, a lot of us would love counselling for some sort of reason. Maybe we need counselling, but we it's have like to organise our. Addict. We it's need ridiculous. to organise our work lives. Most of us don't get paid for going to the psychologist, and he's on taxpayer money. And what really annoyed me this week was the the you know he was accused of taking the photograph of the girl who was in the landscape gardening business stocking oh. up the fridge, and he took a shot of her undies poking out from the top of her jeans as she was bending over. Over. And he said he was doing it as a workplace moment. It was interesting to see her trying to get so many cans of drink into a one fridge. No, not quite right. But anyway, uh, who who does who does that? He's a member of parliament. Too I, many I prize. I, I can't go on about Andrew no. Lanning. No, you don't need counselling. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. You're a member of parliament. You're you're a person. You're a human being. It's terrible, Caro. So he's really stuck in my crawl. Six quick questions now. I have to calm down. I'll kick it off for Red Energy. Apart from doing the 7am podcast on your birthday last week, what was the highlight of the birthday, I mean? The highlight of my actual birthday was being a part of Grandparents and Special Persons Day at Harriet's Kindergarten. Her Bumblebees class was the highlight of my life. Pete and I went and we had an absolute ball. In fact, Pete didn't want to leave, really. He was having quite a lot of fun with the puzzles. <laughs> uh, we did puzzles. We did sand pits. We built towers. We chatted to the teachers. Honestly, you know when you're a mother and you go to one of these things, there's an agenda. Like you've got to get. There's a time limit thing. You've got to pick up the other kids from school. You've got to get to work. You've got to go to the sh- do the shopping. Like as a mother, you don't spend a lot of time in kids' kindergarten classes unless you're on fruit duty. When you're a grandmother and you have all the time in the world and it's your birthday, I was a bit disappointed the four-year-olds didn't have a, a, an all-in all happy birthday to you. But anyway, look, apart from that... <laughs> Did you manage to drop it to other grandparents? No, no, your... no. Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't do that. That would just be, again, seeking some Not sort of compliment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about Hattie. But we had a really fun time and a great day in Ballarat and I just couldn't think much of a better way to really spend to spend your birthday. Caro, what, what, uh, where's my question to you? Should there be an AFL footy game on Good Friday? No. One of the disappointing introductions to the AFL calendar by the Gillan McLaughlin administration shouldn't have done it. It was something special that day. I don't care about the money spinner. I don't care that they play all other footy codes on Good Friday around this country and around the world. It was something the AFL had that was different. I think it, it has just taken away what was a great tradition. It hasn't really added much to the AFL coffers. Great for North Melbourne who've got it at the moment, but I, I don't expect them to put up much of a performance this week. And it just hasn't really resonated with me. And even if it was big drawing crowds, big drawing teams like Collingwood or Essendon or Richmond or one of the big non-Victorian teams like West Coast. doesn't. I don't like it and it shouldn't happen. I think we had this last year, didn't we, Miss Jane? It's been going for a Caro, few... Caro saying that she was not happy about the Well, I'll Friday. continue to say that and it's a pity that they did it and I'm not even religious. Corrie, what are you most looking forward to over Easter? Son-in-law Charlie's 
bake snapper recipe. Oh, yum. Can you give it next week? Yeah, I hope so. Yes, I will. Actually, that's a really good idea. I'll do that. Um, Caro, what's the strangest sight you saw last weekend? Well, it was early last Friday morning. I found myself in the main street of Sorrento in the, on the Mornington Peninsula. A Rolls Royce had driven into the newsagent, like into the newsagent, into the oh. front door. Yeah, unfortunately, the chap driving the Rolls Royce was Prince Charles. No, well, I, I oh no, it'd be more the Duke of Edinburgh. He has, he has form in that regard. I don't know who it was, but he um, took a wrong turn <laughs> and went through the window, the door of the news agency, which was quite an interesting sight. He on must, a Friday he morning. must have put his foot on the or she on the accelerator rather than the brake. But was anybody hurt? Luckily, no one was hurt. Why, why did we have to mention the Rolls Royce? <laughs> well, it's just that you don't often see a Rolls Royce drive into a news agency. You might, when did you last see it? Corrie, do you have a favourite type of pillow? I, well, I do, now that I'm sleeping around, so to speak, now that two of my three children live in regional Victoria. There's been a lot of sleeping around. I've decided I do have a favourite pillow, and my dear podcast friends, Fee and Jane on, fortunately, have been discussing this ad nauseum for weeks, and it did make me think of the time when I had had a gutful of husband Pete's rather tragic little feathered thing <laughs> that he had had since college in Buffalo, New York. Oh, that's too long to hold on to a pillow. Caro, I just said enough of this one morning when I was making the bed and cleaning the sheets and everything, and I put his pillow in the rubbish bin Oh, that's, and went that's and a bit bought, mean. And went and bought a goose down one that at great expense. And he came home and that night in bed said, what's happened to my pillow? And I said, well, look, sorry, but I put it in the rubbish bin. Enough's enough. It's a stinky, terrible old thing. <laughs> he went out and got it out of the rubbish bin. <laughs> how much are goose? They're very came, expensive, came back to those bed. goose down pillows. I can't begin to tell you how much I spent, but I don't like a feather pillow. I like a hard, almost like a rubbery one. What do oh, you prefer? No, give me goose down any day. I took Clem um, shopping as a housewarming present when she moved out of home last June. I said, I'll buy you some new bed linen bedding and I'll buy you two pillows. Well, I went to my favourite linen shop in the world, the bedspread shop in Glenferry Road, Malvern. And we saw these beautiful pillows and I bought, I, well, I was about to buy them along with some bed linen and they told me the price and I went, sorry, just take them back out the back. Thank you. Um, we'll get the other down bad ones. Luck, that, that, luck, look, I still paid over $100 a pillow, but these goose down ones, were, I mean, that people pay a lot of money for great mm. pillows. Yeah, well, the goose down is still there. That's the secondary pillow and this filthy old thing is still on the bed. But it is interesting, the pillow discussion. Let us know, potties, if you've got any pillow stories. And just as an aside, Joe, our friend, the slave, the nanny, the dear friend of ours. The Joe chef and, extraordinaire. Yeah, yeah the, Joe and I were having a conversation the other day about how uh, how much we love talking about linen and buying linen and collecting linen. I know we've discussed this before on the podcast, but I'm becoming more and more obsessed by linen. <gasps> Go to the bedspread shop. They get the most unusual, wonderful what stuff. What is with that? It's so weird. Caro, American novelist and screenwriter Larry McMurtry died last week, aged 84. Which is your favourite McMurtry screenplay or book? Look, I adored Terms of Endearment. I just thought that was a great film, great screenplay, and I've read a few of the books about that 
you know, group of characters, which not only terms of endearment. And I obviously loved Brokeback Mountain. I thought that was a great film, and I think he wrote the screenplay for that. But my absolute favourite is The Last Picture Show with mm. Sybil Shepherd. Oh, oh, she was beautiful. Oh, that is she? a. It's just a, a wonderful film about growing up, about you know, moving from school to university and what you're going to do in life. Um, I think Timothy Bottoms is one of the other characters in it, and Jeff Bridges. Wonderful. So, yeah, great question. Did you ever see or read Lonesome Dove? Because I no, I saw some of this TV series, but I never read the book. I think he's a great talent. In terms of endearment, I remember my mother saying, "I've just been to see, been to the pictures and seen a movie that could be you and I." I think maybe I just had my first child or something, and I said, "What happens?" And she said, "Oh, the young mother dies, and you know, the older mother's left to carry." I just went, "Oh, great! Thanks for that." <laughs> Oh, that no! That some of the scenes with Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson are absolutely brilliant. Absolutely, and Jeff so Daniels is flap. No, and and did Deborah Winger, I think, won an Academy Award for that. I don't know whether she won an Academy Award. No, oh, did she? Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson won Academy yeah, Awards. Yeah, they did. They did. And she and Shirley MacLaine famously had a f- yeah. They bit of they falling fought. out, didn't they? Yeah, Shirley MacLaine said she had a, a coke. Issue oh, film. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I think there was an article about that in Vanity Fair. Corrie, we've come to the end of our show. We've covered a lot of topics, Carol. We have. I'm exhausted. <laughs> Till next week. I don't we want to meet. see you for another week. I've, I'm worn out. I've got news for you. You will be. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, which is 100% Australian electricity and gas, and Prince Wine Store. Please connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We're thrilled to be partnering with Red Energy for our first live event event of the year. As we said earlier, you're invited to join us at the movies on Thursday the 22nd of April for an exclusive preview screening of the United States versus Billie Holiday. 5.30, as we said, um, for a six o'clock screening at the Palace Cinema in the Como Centre in South Yarra. You can join us after the movie at the bar. Um, for $30, you get a movie, you get to chat to us, and you get a nice glass of wine before the movie. Details on how to book the show are in the show notes, or just Google Ballpark Entertainment. Don't shoot the messenger movie, and it'll take you to the booking page. Any issues, go to Miss Jane and email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And you can join our footy tipping competition if you want. Mm. Go to www.tipping.sen.com.au league and search for the Don't Shoot the Messenger competition. Oh, wow. And Corrie, what do we say? (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger. She's exhausted after all that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast, which is proudly supported by Red Energy. Red Energy also bring you the Homestyle podcast with Shana Blaze. Of course, you'll know Shana from her roles on TV, including as a judge on the block and as resident designer on Selling Houses Australia. Homestyle is a fortnightly chat about design, styling and renovation. You can subscribe now. Just search for Homestyle in your favourite podcast app. Homestyle with Shana Blaze and me, Jane Neild, proudly supported by Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas.